Hi and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I'm talking to Kate Anderson. Kate is the head of the EAL department at the British School in the Netherlands and as such leads on English as an additional language provision across the secondary phase. I was looking to talk with someone like Kate after giving a lot of thought to how I work with EAL teachers in my own school and the obvious deficits in regard to my understanding and ability when doing so. Kate offers a lot of fantastic insight and advice surrounding what it means to have EAL students in the classroom and school as well as how best to support them within the school community. We discuss the best book she's ever read, taught or learned at school herself, how or what to review in terms of EAL provision each year, what the EAL department does at the British School in the Netherlands, the ways in which Kate's department spend time building relationships with both prospective students and their family online, what is the one thing EAL teachers would like to say to teachers of other subjects if they had the chance, the possibility that being assisted by the EAL department may lead to some self-consciousness and whether or not this can be overcome. And finally, where teachers can look for resources or training with regard to better connections and teamwork with the EAL department. Thanks again to Kate for a clear understanding of the type of conversations and considerations that go on within the EAL department in her school. With some hard work and attention to detail, I hope that what I've heard from Kate can inform my own planning and work alongside her counterparts in my own school. If you want to be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Okay, Kate, uh, just start by asking, what is the best book that you've ever read, taught or learned yourself whilst you were at school? Uh, so it's a really difficult one, this for me, because I always think of books that I've just read recently and I can't easily, because I wasn't particularly a reader when I was a, a child and a teenager. And I think there's a few books that stood out when I was little, which was probably the ones that were about adventure, kind of, you know, going solo by Roald Dahl and that type of book mm. where I, big wide world was opened up to you um and I think probably that's similar to the type of books that I read as an adult like um Pachinko was a was a brilliant book that I read recently I know it's been made into a series by one of the online um I don't think it's Netflix but one of those and I don't know what that's like but the Mm. book it immerses you in Korean culture it, it educates you on what the Korean culture was like in Japan as an immigrant community um it's one of those family sagas that goes through generations and it's it's the type of book where you really miss the characters and the world when you finished it and I think that's always a really good sign of a of a great book that you feel something's lost at the end of it um you know um, and also the mm. vanishing half was one I really enjoyed by Britt Bennett um and it's about two sisters over again over a really long period of time one passing as white and the other uh, living in a black community and it's it's fascinating again it, it transports you to a world that i didn't know much about beforehand and it's it it educates you on different cultures at the same time as it being a really human story and i think both of those books have been great really good 
I, I I agree with what you said there in terms of you tend to kind of go towards like the recency bias thing. Whenever I'm asked that in interviews gone by, I always kind of struggle for, you know, the, the when, when I get asked, like, what's the best book you've read recently? And it I, I don't know whether it's just awful, awful memory. I can only think of what I've read recently. And I, I swear to God, I reckon I didn't get a job in the past because I was reading Soconomics at the time, which is just a, <laughs> which is a very interesting book, but not the book that you want to tell the principal of a school head of department that you're reading. And I just, I was kicking myself for days after that, but yeah, that's so true. But those two books are, yeah, lovely examples. Um, so obviously for, for anyone who doesn't know your background um you, you obviously working within EAL and I was really keen to get someone on to speak about uh, EAL uh, as an international school teacher something we just I just mentioned before we started recording in terms of I think you can refine so many other things about your practice um and and never really kind of um you know master any of them you're always learning and this kind of thing and I definitely think that EAL provision and working with the EAL teacher is one thing which I really, really wish I was better at. And I always plan to get better at and never find sufficient time to do so. I'm really kind of um, sort of ashamed to say, but in your opinion, when you're reviewing the EAL provision at your school each year, what do you see as the top priorities or, or what's the vision that guides the decisions within your institution or department? I think I think that what we always have in mind is access to the curriculum as opposed to learning general English. Um, what we had before at our school was was very much kind of an English language school, almost attached to a secondary school um, in some ways, mm. which wasn't was certainly a basis, but it wasn't serving the students' immediate needs. And I think that in doing that, you miss a tremendous amount of potential that the students have for uh, accessing physics, geography, drama, DT, whatever it is they're studying, because they don't have the tools to work on that register of language um, or to access the assessment that they're doing currently in year 10 or that they or the skills that they're building through a history syllabus across year nine you know and that's that's the the motivating factor for the students that we work with in EAL um, and I think as soon as they can see that it has a connection to the wider curriculum they're much more interested in it mm-hmm. and it's also for us it's of using curriculum content or curriculum topics or curriculum straight curriculum materials um, as a vehicle for language development makes everything a lot more relevant. Um, it means that we can uh, also build relationships with subject teachers because we're talking the same language in terms of the materials and the topics that they're following. Um, and we have a really clear view then of what students um, need, what language they need across Key Stage 3, um, how it progresses, what the assumptions are of what they already have from junior school, which often they absolutely don't. Um, and how we can sort of organize language into areas of skill and areas of uh, the curriculum rather than teaching a general English, which which serves them at some to some degree, but not really in the immediate way that the students need to feel successful, you know. And that like, is it, it are you given like a certain time in the year to kind of go and um, plan these things? And how does it work in terms of like reaching out to head to department? Do you need to do that? Does the school arrange for for yourself and, and the head of science or the head of English or the head of whatever DT to come together? Like practically speaking, how does that happen? 
Um, I think from in our experience, it, it comes from the AL department mostly. Mm. Um, we do that quite we try to do that as intentionally as possible. I think you've already sort of alluded to the fact that there's hardly any time and it's certainly in a secondary curriculum. Um, and because we are not a, a full MYP, then DP school, we, we do Key Stage 3, British National Curriculum, and then GPSEs, and then there's yeah. an option for IB, DP, and CP. Um, there is less... Um, what would you call it? There's probably less clarity on what how the overall syllabus um, progresses because each department has their own plan. And um, we have to really get in there and say um, and work, talk to the person that we're working with. And we tend to do that on a case by case basis because we found that um, whole school CPD serves some purpose in that we know that most teachers understand what helps EAL students in general. But what's more effective is the relationship that you build with the teacher you're actually working with. Mm. So that you've got students in front of you, not hypothetical students. They're, they're students that we know something of their background. We understand what they need to develop in their language in order to access lessons. We know what's coming up. We know how much time we've got with them outside of that classroom. And we know how much time we've got with them inside the classroom. So when it, when it becomes a bit more real and it's an actual student in an actual class, I think pro, a lot more progress is made. Mm. yeah that, that makes a lot of sense I suppose if you can like give those concrete examples of uh, I know why that would work in theory but it wouldn't work with this particular student yeah. for yeah. any any exactly. any number of reasons um this is going to sound like a bit of a stupid question but what does the EL department do within your school is it is it a balance of sort of small scale uh, teaching and then other times you're in the classroom uh, within uh, with with the students so to speak like side by side with them or how, how does that work within uh, your school yeah we, we have a balance so what we do initially is we assess students as they come in uh to new to the school or they come in uh, so from year eight coming into year nine um, and often at the end of year eight, eight, before they come into year nine, for example. Um, and we look at who has the, basically look at the priority students. And those tend to be the ones with the lowest proficiency, the highest, higher up the school they are. So if you've got a year nine coming in with uh, who is new to English, they are going to be the student that we want to support the most because they're going to need that support with the curriculum being much more complex and their, their level of proficiency being quite low. So we would take them, um, we would swap a few classes for EAL classes. So generally in Key Stage 3, that's um, mainstream English and then two of their modern languages. They do three or four modern languages in Key Stage 3, so they've got a bit of space. And obviously if they're coming from another language system or another educational system, for example, if they've got Korean already, they're learning English and one other language, that, that's kind of plenty to be going on with in terms of modern languages anyway. And then we feel that the mainstream English at that level is probably too much for somebody who's new to English. So we will try to mirror in the EAL um, lessons similar skills to what they will need to um, need to, to have to go into key stage um, four later on as well. So we'll look at things like um, literary analysis using a, a guided reader, or, or taking extracts from a from an original novel, um, mm. looking at language analysis in um, nonfiction, and so really take not we're not building from a grammar basis. We're not building blocks going up. 
because we find that if you think about it, the, the immediate questions that EAL students are asked as soon as they start a new school is, where are you from? What did you do last weekend? So if that if you're teaching, you know, present tense, and then we're going to go to past mm. tense, it doesn't really fit their needs. So we try to go directly to chunks of language and how do you um, build skills to argue, explain, narrate, um, and inform really. So looking at the skills of and what the purpose of the language to start with. Um, so we teach in small groups, but we also go in class. And as much as we can with those uh, high priority students, we might support them in science. We might support them in geography or history as well. Um, and that can be working. That will be working with the teacher to work out what's coming up, what materials can we try to scaffold, um, what may or may not work for them in terms of um, you know exercises in science. How can we make it a text that's not just like the rest of the class might just read through quite a lengthy text? We need to put in highlight pre-highlighted keywords, glossaries, gap fills. Mm thing um, and it's identifying what are we actually trying to learn in the lesson and what are the priority parts of the lesson as well what can we actually what's superfluous and what can we um do without for the time being and so he, this uh, student can get through the core of what the rest of them are getting through as well so mm. for other students it might also be that they don't come out of mainstream english we go into english with them to support that and they only come to us for just a few lessons over a fortnight um, to, to kind of support that transition into mainstream English or they they just need a little extra support. And I think often EAL tends to be quite a safe space for students coming in, especially in small groups. That's why we like to maintain it um, because it's it feels like a place that you can make, you know, if, you, if you've got six students there or two students there, it's a much easier place to make a mistake than in front of 20 of your peers or 25 yeah. of your peers. So um, the students tend to, um, appreciate that that they've got time to practice and take risks and uh, without it being quite high stakes as a teenager mm. and in terms of the atmosphere or maintaining like a kind of uh, particular environment within the department for students I read somewhere on the school's website that you spend time building relationships with the prospective student not just the prospective students but also their family online and stuff like that presumably maybe as they're on their way to the country or or um um they're you know before they depart or even after they've arrived um what does that actually entail what what do you do um during that process and why why do you think it's important to do it um often we get students who particularly in the last two years when travel's been a lot more difficult we um hear about the student who's going to let's say we hear about them in May through the admissions department and they are going to be joining us in September or it could be a lot tighter time timeline than that um, and so we we'll organize a video call with them and their parents um, to get a, a feel for where their English their spoken English is at and where their conversational skills are at because that will give us a not a, not a an exhaustive idea of where their their um, English level is because oftentimes they will be much their passive skills will be much much higher than their oral skills because that's the way they've learned English mm. however if that is the case we need to know about it because that will prevent them from making friends feeling comfortable speaking up in class telling the teacher they need help so we we try to get a, a good idea of where they're going to need support to start with but also to find out you know what they like about their current school how they're feeling about moving to the Netherlands is there anything about this school that they have questions about? They want to 
they're unsure of, um, you know, anything about the specifics of the syllabus. So what are you studying in English at the moment? Well, you might be studying this here. Have you heard of that? Have you? What do you feel about how do you feel about that? Do you know anybody that's over here? And for the parents to ask some questions as well, because they're often, um, a lot of parents kind of get the wrong end of the stick about how they can support their their child in learning English because they're going into an environment of English um, instruction. So they will suggest that oh, we, we will stop speaking Mandarin at home and we'll only speak English with them, which mm-hmm. is really the wrong way to go about it. Um, even though they're trying to help, it's actually a much better idea if the parents and the family continue speaking their home language because that's that goes a long way to bringing up a bilingual adult. And that's what we're looking for, a bilingual adult, not, not a monolingual English speaker, um, somebody who's got options to go to university wherever they want to. Um, and, yeah, I think the, building that relationship really helps to... You can almost sort of see people uh, relax physically when you when you see a face, it rather than have you know letters and emails between people. And yeah. I think it's helpful to to just have a have a, a joke with them as well, and just say, you know, don't worry, you're not going to be. Um, it's not going to be like it's not a castle because often if you come into a school, people think it's Harry Potter. Often, but we can talk to them about you know, the the library as a place to go, the CCAs, the after-school activities that they might be involved in, and just to get some real positivity about the move going, because it's a tremendous, um, it's a tremendous thing when you're a 13 and you may not have asked to move or want to move. You may be leaving your grandparents, pets, friends, everything you've ever known behind. It's, I think it's really important that they know they're going somewhere with a friend, with at least one or two friendly faces that can start them off on their on their journey. Yeah, I've never, um, I've never heard of anything kind of being done like that. But obviously, I've I've never worked within an AL department, so I'm really keen to find out to what extent my school does that, or the foundation that I work for does that. Because it seems to me, it's now that you've explained it, it seems like such a simple and straightforward <laughs> thing. To, like, obviously, you should do that because it's just such a. I mean, even changing schools as a teacher, I think, is a really daunting, intimidating prospect. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like you say, as a 13-year-old person um, who doesn't speak the language of instruction, well, who isn't necessarily kind of fully confident in the language of instruction, it is such a lovely touch to to do that. So um, yeah, I was kind of blown away when I, uh, at the simplicity, but also kind of the, the common senseness and and uh, um, also, yeah, just- the personal touch. Yeah, and it making space for the parents as well, because remembering that the parents mm. are often going through it when they move to a new country, particularly if one of them is not working and they feel mm. that they have to look after all of the needs of all of the students, plus go through it personally themselves. Um, and I think making time for, we do a sort of EAL, we did have it in the past couple of years, but we'll do it again this September, an EAL parents evening to start with, which is always a small group of parents, specially invited to come and have a cup of tea and some cake and just go through what we do as an EAL department and what not to worry about, what what to, what to you can do at home to support your, your child, because they're going to find mm-hmm. it rough to start with. It, it's not easy. It's a tremendous challenge for them. And I think often parents think they're likely to just pick it up, but actually there is a lot more to it than that. And they they do need specific instruction. They do need specific support. Mm. Um, coming back to my school again, I've noticed that um, the 
EAL teachers have, they seem to have a slightly higher turnover rate than other departments. So for example, uh, in year uh, 10 or 11, like the, the sort of IGCSE year that I teach, uh, my um, uh, Fatima, who I work with, is, is I think she's the only teacher and, and I think who stayed consistent the entire year. And in four or five other year levels, they've either changed due to uh, change just just leaving the school or um they've transferred to another school in the foundation etc cetera, etc cetera. um is that is that also the case um where you are i mean if so what do you do as a team to ensure a new member acclimates quickly and even if even if you don't have that high higher turnover rate um like how big is your team um and and yeah like how do you kind of um, operates in terms of kind of bringing in new members of staff? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question because I don't, we don't find that, that um, mm. I think it's probably less turnover in EAL than in other departments, actually, certainly in the senior school. Um, we are a team of six in this senior school, but our school has another senior school and we have three junior schools. So I think, in this school, it's been relatively stable, certainly for the past five years. Um, we had a member of our team retire last year and got a couple more teachers on board. I, I think it's, I wonder with your school, if you're saying that people have got have been transferred. One thing I can imagine is that the EAL department is often quite stretched. Um, and mm, in other yeah. areas of the school, there is more need sometimes. So it can be a bit flexible like that. Um but we have, yeah, a pretty pretty stable team, really. Um, and I think it's an in, it's a tremendously interesting and challenging role because you have, a, as I said, a view across the whole syllabus. You're working in Key Stage Three, Four, and uh, in the Sixth Form. There's it's always about individuals um, because we work work in such small groups. So I think it can be really rewarding as well. Um, you're working across all different departments in the school, so you have all sorts of relationships. Um, with different subject departments so there's a tremendous amount of variety um, I think that can become a, to become not too much but a lot sometimes because you're always juggling different subjects different students different sets of teachers um, I think we have had um, we've had a couple of new members of staff that have definitely find that found that quite a shock because we don't we also don't have a fixed um EAL curriculum as it were because we found that in the past that was quite restrictive and it meant that we couldn't we couldn't respond to student need and that's what we needed to do um so and also one of the things is we didn't want to add to students burden by giving them another course to pass you know it's not it's not about a barrier to entry or or another burden on their backs this is a support department um, that is helping to develop tools so that they can access the subjects that they need to access. So while we try to organise our um, curriculum into area, areas of skill, and that's something that we're developing uh, for next year as well, um, I think it's quite difficult for new EAL teachers to come in because you need to have that experience of being able to quickly understand what the student has and hasn't got in their kind of pack of skills already. Um, and also a good idea of what the key stage three and four curriculum is so you can see what they will need to have. So I think it, it is quite tricky. And we, we, our teachers are responsible for building their own materials. So, it, and it's always in response to the students that they've got and the skills that they know they will need to have. So 
I think that's tricky. Um, but I think our department is supportive. Um, I think that there we are not hierarchical. We work as a team. Um, and we, you know, we were just recently in a out for Sunday afternoon drinks. Um, and we try to be as as human as possible in doing it. It's not easy. There's not an easy solution. Um, but talking to each other and making sure that we're asking each other questions, checking our own standing, checking our own um you know, logic in terms of how we're planning our lessons, planning our work, um, and often share because we share students between us as well. We need to keep that conversation going. Um, and it, it's not always perfect. It's certainly something that we're working on um, kind of streamlining what we do in, from that, in that respect. Um, but I think, you know, having the right people in the team, people being happy in the team as well is, is, a, is a huge foundation that we can t- to build on. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, for this one, this one's perhaps, um, uh, quite a, I'm not sure what to expect from this question actually, but, uh, this is, um, something which I think, um, might be the most kind of eye opening one in terms of, uh, coming from an EAL teacher, uh, to like, uh, the sort of the, the main class teacher or whatever kind of parlance you want to use. But if, mm-hmm. if you had the opportunity to be completely direct or blunt or straightforward whatever kind of word you want to use um what is the one thing that eal teachers would like to say uh, to teachers of other subjects if they had the chance do you think um if they had this opportunity and culture of trust and blah 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 what do you think um eal teachers often want to say to teachers but perhaps can't for whatever reason Mm-hmm. I think I think we do have lots of opportunities to talk to our colleagues that are in subject departments and we and we do that a lot. Um, but obviously everybody has a different set of responsibilities in the classroom and for subject teachers it's often getting through content and working at multiple levels because we are not a selective school we have a, a huge variation in terms of the um level of ability in classrooms so, so obviously they have to work with that and 20 students. Um, and we may be working with one or two of those students. So I can so it's often it's often a slight not a conflict, but it's a different set of responsibilities. Um, and probably what we would always want to say is is try to put the teacher in the position of the EAL students and thinking about how how do you access something in a language that you are not proficient in and trying whenever we do um you know uh, professional development work here um we'll try to have teachers think about when they were learning a language when they were new to a country when they've been in a situation where they haven't been able to understand what's going on but needed to um and i think that's very powerful because you do need that kind of empathy for where the students coming from particularly if they're new to English. And it's almost more difficult if they are um, developing or exceeding in their English uh, proficiency, but they're not quite there in terms of the grade level um, because it often seems like they are, but they're not. They can be orally very proficient, but their writing and reading really needs a lot of work and it's more difficult to see that. Um, So we would always say as much as you possibly can using visuals, subtitles, stepping the instructions and breaking them down limiting superfluous language which is so difficult because Mm -hmm. obviously there is a relationship that's built through that um but often when it goes on a tangent it's really difficult for an eal student um 
or honestly, quite a few of our other students who just don't speak English at home and don't necessarily have that social um, register. Um, it, it's it's tricky for them when that happens. And I think there's lots of techniques that you can use, you know, coming back to the main point that you were making and saying, okay, so the things I just spoke about were this, this, and this, and summarizing or saying, now this is important and signposting the lesson in a way that the students can always okay we're back to here because mm. often you lose the the point of what the person's saying you start to completely lose connection with the rest of the lesson so just coming back to center all the time really helps this is what we're doing now next and using those signposting words is really helpful or just we use um, surface pros at school close your keyboards look at me it this this sort of instruction is really helpful because it brings the attention back to the next thing even if you didn't quite get what was happening before it brings your attention back to okay i'm going to try and understand the next bit having an objective on the board having um often in the materials that they work on digitally uh, task one, task two, task three is it, just really helpful. And it seems, again, really obvious, but it's that type of thing that helps the student to stay on board with the lesson. Um, and also slowing the pace of speech, I think, as well, is something that we miss often because we're constantly trying to you know, build energy, build motivation in the room, get the students interested. But it doesn't really help. They're actually slowing the speech down. Mm. It's good for everybody um, because obviously you've got students who are EAL students. We've also got students who are just not paying attention and, and bringing that back is actually really good for, for everybody. Yeah, I would agree. I, I was listening to something the other day actually on, um, I think it's one of Craig Barton's podcasts and he had Adam Boxer on talking about, um, I can't remember the exact kind of phrase or wording he used, but it was, uh, like fronting the means of participation and it seems so simple but just saying something like in total silence open the book to this page and then write yeah. the answer here and it's like yeah. it does bring, it does bring me back to all those lessons mainly with year seven and eight where it's just like where are we writing this uh sir like where do I put this do I need this pen do I need that do I need that and yeah I think for um, I think, yeah, I, I completely concur with what you said then. I forget people who are kind of uh, learning a new language, even students who have just got kind of so much energy exactly. and so much kind of, yeah, so much cognitive kind of overload and stuff. It's That is really, really important. Yeah, that is one of the few conversations that I've, I've managed to have, luckily this year with uh, some of the EAL teachers, just asking for them for tips in terms of how to change slides or how to change uh, instructions in books and things like that to make it a little bit more proficient. So that really kind of resonates, yeah. Um, coming back to something you... Go on, sorry, Kit. <laughs> No, I was um, just going to say that um, it's one of those things that we that's so easy to forget. And with slides particularly, it's it's almost a similar thing to uh, increased pace of speech is putting so much on the slide because you want to, mm -hmm. it to be interesting, motivating. And actually white space is nothing to be scared of. It really does help focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the the word superfluous was used before as well. And that's definitely something I've uh, given feedback on in the past with kind of departments that I've led in terms of, you know, little pictures, little gifts, little this, that and that, which, which are cute and nice and things like that. But ultimately 
they, they can prove quite uh, distracting um to um to students but um just coming back to something you mentioned like a few minutes ago about kind of relationships between students or between students and teachers within the EAL department and and, and the, the small class sizes and, and this kind of thing. One thing I have noticed with some of the EAL students um, in um, in my school, and it's, it is a percentage of them, it's, it's, it, it's a minority and it's, it's a credit to the EAL department that they've managed to keep it to an absolute minority. But some of the students in my school that are being assisted by the EAL department it leads to a little bit of self-consciousness. Um, so for, for context, you might have, you know, a third of the students are sort of British, Australian, Irish, whatever background. A third of them might be kind of speaking Cantonese or Mandarin at home. And the other third might be, I don't know, French or kind of South Asian or um, Japanese or, or, or whatever else. Um, have you ever found this to be the case, this kind of self-consciousness and this... Um, uh, maybe in, in, in more kind of severe cases, it, it leads to a bit of a breakdown in um, effectiveness in terms of what the teacher can do within the classroom to help that, to help that student. Or, or do you feel like you've already kind of found ways to combat that? Um, we've had a couple of, we've had a couple of um, cases where the student hasn't really wanted to be helped in class. Uh, with an adult in the room helping them um, and uh, that was early on in their career at the school and I think that it was just self-consciousness something something that marked them out as different whatever it was wasn't yeah. something that they wanted to lean into um, but we're we're quite lucky in that we've got lots and lots of students who have an adult supporting them in class um, and what we there's there's quite um, a, a kind of culture of empathy here, and that's something that the pastoral team have built. Um, in that most people are new at some point to the school, and if they've not, they're new to this. They're going to be new somewhere else at some point. Um, and having you know a reward system that takes compassion into account and um, taking care of others into account, I think is quite motivating for students to actually look after them, each other. Um, and especially if you're telling students that this is what you need to be doing with this member of the form, I think that's quite effective because they do want to be heroes as well as, you know, everything else that they want to be. Um, occasionally, I did some research for my master's a few years ago that was uh, interviewing EAL students and asking them what their experience was when they first started. Um, and a few of them certainly did say, oh, I didn't like being an EAL student because, it, you know, I felt um, that people were... Um, you know it, it felt like there was, it was the spotlight on me that I didn't like mm. but I think overwhelmingly those students you know said well actually I, but I, it, the benefits outweighed the downsides because I needed that support and I wouldn't have been able to access the lesson at that stage without that help um, and they would they would take it rather than reject it if, if these days. And they would say, because one of the questions I think I remember was, what would you say to EAL students coming in now? And they would say, take all the help that you can get. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's uncomfortable to start with from a from a personal highlighting perspective, but actually um, they they do see the benefit of it. And the, the safe, like I said before, the safe space of an EAL classroom where you've got um, four or five students in the same boat as you is really can't be underestimated. That's somewhere where you can 
try things out and ask questions that you didn't ask in class and um, you know you draw attention to the problems that you're having without feeling like it's without feeling like you stick out or anything like that and they I think they also can do that in class but obviously as, as a 13 year old or, or somebody who's brand new to the culture to the teaching to the curriculum it's really hard to say yeah just just put your hand up and ask the teacher in class it's tough mm, yeah 100 percent. yeah um that and that idea of kind of almost getting them i know it was obviously in response to a um the the, the form or the questionnaire that you gave them but that kind of um approach to almost getting uh, previous EAL students or older EAL students to speak to younger ones or newer ones that does seem like such a yeah such a kind of like a, a sensible or like a good idea to do um uh, lastly for me Kate the um wh- where would you recommend like teachers uh look for resources or training with regard to making those better connections and teamwork mm-hmm. with the EAL department or even um it, well in addition to that um how should teachers or or heads of department go about um building better relationships with the EAL department what do you want from 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 heads of department to kind of make sure that you can do your job um better I mean because going back to what you said a few minutes ago you don't have it sounds like you've got like a a very bespoke curriculum it's based on the needs of students and the needs to, to a certain extent of the departments themselves so um firstly is there any kind of external um things that that teachers can go out and read or watch or whatever and secondly what can they do within their individual institutions themselves to help out the eal department um I, there's a couple of books that i would certainly recommend and we've used for various things so there is patricia merton breaking through the language barrier is really really good and it works through lots of different subjects in the curriculum and how you can support EAL students in that subject area. Um, Pauline Gibbons as well, um, Scaffolding Language, Scaffolding Learning is a great one. Um, And, well, I mean, this is a really oldie, but um, a goodie still, Educating Second Language Children, which is um, the whole child, the whole curriculum and the whole community, which is really the foundation of everything. Um, And I think, you know, when we're talking about swapping certain lessons for EAL lessons or how do EAL students feel it's it really is about the whole curriculum and the whole community it's not about separating at all it's about access and inclusion and trying to find a way that that provides a step or a ladder that students can get to where their peers are at because that's what they want um, and also if they're coming from you know being top of their class top of their school and they're in their um, previous life to being at the bottom, it's really devastating. So trying to build that confidence, build that ability, build the proficiency is um, the best thing we can do. Um, And in terms of teachers working with the EAL department, what we've, certainly teachers come to us and refer students to us and and ask us what um, they should be doing, what they can be doing, um, you know, differently in the classrooms to ensure that the student has access. Um, But we've also found that interested teachers will come to things that we put on like book clubs around these types of books um after school having a glass of wine and discussing it is is no bad thing actually taking it out of uh, being a formal discussion about um you know differentiation in your classroom it's it's actually more than that it's about understanding where the student's coming from and seeing what i can do to make sure that they're included in this group of children 
Um, and also we've done um, a program as we've started this year, language ambassadors. So it's an opportunity for people from all different departments to come and do a couple of uh, sessions with us where we're discussing the materials that they use or discussing the wider questions of how do I make my uh, syllabus accessible or do, and it's a it's kind of a workshop type environment. It's really okay, we've got somebody from history, somebody from physics, somebody from biology, somebody from DT. What do you do? And, and providing that forum for people to swap ideas um, and with with us being there as well to say actually what you could also do is this or also do is this um it's it's really nice when it's not forced I think it's if it's a voluntary conversation then it tends to be quite effective and the idea with that is then that those teachers will go back to their departments and share some of the ideas that they found mm. because they've gone okay yeah, that would that would be a good idea because often I think when it comes always from the AL department it can feel like banging the same drum um, and to the point where you start to ignore the drum. <laughs> Actually, it's quite powerful if somebody in your own department saying that. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Um, okay, well, all that kind of remains for me to say is thanks a lot, Kate, for uh, giving up your time today. It's um, like I said, it's 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 a bit. It's something I feel a little bit embarrassed about. Obviously, the EAL department's only like a five minute walk away from where I work in my building, but kind of thinking about what you've just mentioned there and the last answer about kind of going down there and spending a bit of time chatting and kind of building bridges and links and stuff like that. It's would be so much better and more proactive than the little chats that you tend to have at the beginning or end of classes with the AL teachers. So uh, thank you so much for speaking so um, concisely, but also kind of practically and, and, and helpfully in terms of helping me and anyone else who listens to understand the AL provision a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. It's great to it's great to talk about it. And I would certainly say you know, being proactive, putting those dates in the diary and um, saying this is when I'm going to do that is is always, always welcomed.